Hi, and welcome to Messy in the Middle. I'm your host, Jessica Lee. This is a podcast featuring real women's stories about their journey, the messy part, the trials and tribulations to get from recurrent miscarriage and infertility to baby. Join us as we talk, cry, laugh, and get unbelievably vulnerable to feel less alone in the gang that no one wants to be a part of. Hi. I just wanted to preface this whole podcast by saying that I'm not a medical professional, I'm not qualified in any way, it's just a platform to bring women together and share stories of our common struggles of trying to conceive a baby. There are going to be a lot of triggering subjects, not just for you, but for me as well. I do understand that I may not always say the right thing and I'm like hyper aware of that fact. So I do apologize in advance if there's something I respond to or there's something that I say that may be triggering in some way. It's definitely not my intention to make anyone feel worse about what they're going through. Uh, I'm really hoping that through these stories, it's just a way to acknowledge what we're going through and that you're not alone and just it's just going to be a safe safe place to hold space for each other. So in saying all that, please enjoy the first episode of Messy in the Middle. Hi, and welcome to Messy in the Middle podcast, episode one. I'm your host, Jessica Lee. I wanted to start off by saying that I'm so grateful that you're here joining me. Although my heart also aches because you're probably going through your own issues of trying to conceive. I, for one, know the just the absolute heartache and the head fuck and oh I don't know I just I'm I know how hard this journey is I also wanted to put out a trigger warning that I do have a living child and the episodes moving forward feature women who have had their own fertility struggles but who have come through the other side and the reason for this is purely to give you hope Uh, When I was in the depths of my last miscarriage, I came across a podcast very similar to the concept of this one, featuring real women's stories of their journey of infertility, baby loss, trying to conceive, but who had children at the end. And it it really kicked off my journey of self-discovery and finding answers as to why it happened. Unfortunately, she has stopped making them and that left a big gap in my heart, to be honest. I loved listening to those episodes every week and I know how much it helped me. So it's inspired me to create this in the hope that it can help you as well. So that's what I want to do. I want to help. I want to bring awareness. I want to create a community where it's a safe space to share and be vulnerable, share the good, the bad, the ugly, and just to let you know that you're not alone. I want to share knowledge through this podcast by bringing on experts in the field to teach us more about fertility and what we can do to improve our chances to conceive. And I really hope that I have the ability to create what I'm envisioning here and that it just brings it just brings you something each week to give you the strength to keep going. So I wanted to kick off by sharing my story. I guess I'll start by sharing a little bit about myself. I am currently 37, well, well, no, I'm not. <laughs> I'm 37 this year, currently still 36. So let's let's hang on to 36 for a little bit longer. Uh, 36 years old. I had my first baby. He was born two days um, before my birthday. And 
I, I was just turning 34 as I had him. Uh, I live with my partner, my son, and our dog, Bear Bear. And our journey of starting to conceive started really not long after we actually met. <laughs> so we kind of knew straight away that we were each other's person and that we both wanted a, to start a family. We both wanted kids. I think our initial number was four. Uh, we've realized very quickly how difficult and unrealistic that would be. Uh, maybe if we'd met 10 years earlier, that could have been the case. But for now, honestly, if we can get number two, that would just be everything. So we were together about six to nine months before we started trying and we really fell pregnant relatively easily within the first three months. I didn't know anything about my my cycles, really. I was tracking very loosely on an app. Um, I had a rough idea through the app when I was ovulating, Um I didn't know anything any any more about preconception care, um, but I guess you don't know what you don't know. So yeah, fell pregnant in the first three months, and honestly, it was just we were just naively happy. We shared we we couldn't contain our excitement. We we sh- we told everyone pretty much. Um, and looking back now, would I have changed that? Yeah, probably. I found out as soon as I'd missed my period and yeah, I was just blissfully unaware that anything could or would go wrong. This was um, around, it would have been about September 2019, uh, this first pregnancy and it was mm, two weeks later. So I would have been between five and six weeks when the spotting started And I just, as soon as it started happening, as much as I didn't ever think losing a baby would be part of my reality, I intuitively knew that this pregnancy wasn't going to last. And it was heartbreaking. I was at work when it first started happening. I work at a hospital and the nurses there were amazing and took me straight down to ED to take a blood draw just to check my HCG levels. I had been to the doctor prior to this. As soon as I knew I was pregnant, I'm like, yes, going to the doctors because that's what you're meant to do, I think, and got my blood draw. I can't remember what that initial HCG reading was. Um, From memory, maybe around 5,000. It was good. Not that I knew. Yeah, I just didn't know anything back then. The blood draw that I took at work didn't actually work. Uh, Something went wrong with the blood and she couldn't get the reading. So, yeah, straight to the doctor's get the blood draw. And then a couple of days later, I remember driving there and I was on my own and you know, when you just know, but there's nothing that can prepare you for the news. It's still, even though, you know, it's still, you you don't want to know you're hoping for a miracle. You're hoping, is it implantation bleeding? You go down the Google rabbit hole and hoping for different news but when I went to the doctors and he gave, he told me whatever the figure was, it had gone down and yeah, he said, I was sorry that I will be miscarrying and that was that. <laughs> so the first miscarriage that I had was like spontaneous, happened on its own. 
I was at home at the time, uh, the cramping started increasing. And I know a lot of people say that like when you're going through that cramping and if they've had a baby later on down the track, they liken it to contractions. From my experience, I don't know. I don't know if that's true. For me, like that was definitely intense and I definitely knew that it was, as it was increasing, that it was going to be soon. But, yeah, nothing can pay for it. I was laying on the couch just in agony, grabbing at my stomach, and I had to go up to the toilet. And this is the most messed up part, that I knew I knew the exact moment that it had passed. And I don't even know how I knew that. I don't know. I think it's traumatising that you just know that you're going to be flushing your baby down the toilet and there's absolutely nothing you can do about it. Fuck, it was hard. There's no other way to describe it, like, unless you've been through it. And at this stage, like, I didn't know anyone who had had a miscarriage. I didn't know anyone in my family. I didn't know any of my friends. It was just I was going through this thing and why me? So after that, you know, took a few days off work trying to just heal emotionally. But I knew that I wanted to to try again straight away. I wanted a baby and I didn't want to wait. (laughs) I was really lucky again that we ended up conceiving like straight away the next cycle. I did end up sharing about my first miscarriage on my Facebook and honestly the support was amazing and the amount of my friends that came forward saying that you know they've been through it too and the amount of people that were telling me that like with your first pregnancy your body doesn't know what to do and it will happen next time and it creates like a clean slate in your uterus. So you're more fertile straight after a miscarriage. And I had my hopes set on that. <laughs> and I was one of the lucky ones. I honestly look back now after the struggles that I'm going through and realize how lucky I actually was. So I had a very uncomplicated um, pregnancy. I definitely struggled with, I didn't even know this was a thing, but prenatal depression, uh, things got very hard in the first trimester. And now after having another miscarriage, I can see that it was all hormone driven and I'm much better at recognizing when my hormones are out of whack and what it does to me. Um, But yeah, I just felt out of control. Um, But I mean, it did get easier and it was great. There was no complications with the pregnancy. Uh, The birth was good and I had a beautiful, healthy baby boy. Uh, He's now two and a half. I really wanted to start trying again after his first birthday. But for whatever reason at the time, it just, it was a good timing. Uh, So we waited a little bit longer and he got to about one and a half. Oh, it must have been just before that um, we started to to try again. Again, really didn't know any more about my body, my cycles, just thought we'd repeat what we did the first time. Um, so, again, I, I did fall, fall pregnantly, pregnantly. <laughs> I did fall pregnant relatively easily. It was within a couple of cycles. And... It was January 2022. So we're almost coming up to a year mark since I was pregnant last. And the stupid thing is I thought I could be one of those women that planned what month I had a baby. And I really had my heart set on falling pregnant and having a baby in the same year. I wanted my babies to be uh, two years apart. 
which would have been pretty much spot on. And when I found out I was pregnant, I didn't tell my partner straight away. The first person I told was my son. And it was just nice. I know that he didn't not understand what was going on or what I was talking about, but it was nice to share that with him. And I even made a little shirt to surprise daddy with um, that said, Big Bro, established 2022. And I thought all was going great. I didn't rush off this time to get my bloods done. But when I did, my HCG levels were great. I don't know if when, like after you've had multiple miscarriages, you go into the next pregnancy with these milestones. So one of the things that I was really looking at was what that first HCG uh, reading was. So I would have been five or six weeks and I got my first HCG reading and it was like 10,000 or 6,000. It, it was good. And I was like, yes, that's great. Um, this is going well. This is going to be fine. <sighs> Booked in for the first scan about six weeks. Uh, it was the early dating scan. Um, and my doctor booked me into this little like boutique ultrasound place on the Gold Coast. And we were so excited. My partner was there. My son was there. I was sitting in the waiting room busting to pee. Um, but then like the receptionist was walking past. She was asking how I was feeling. And I was like, you know, just feeling a little uncomfortable, but it's fine. And like the sonographer kind of popped her head out and she's like, oh, if you want to go to the bathroom, it's fine. I thought that was really strange because you go into these and you need to have a full bladder. But she's the expert, not me. So I go to the bathroom, empty my bladder, and then she calls us in, lay down on the bed, and she's putting the gel and the wand on my tummy. And she goes, oh, you know, I can't, I can't really see anything. And I don't know why I didn't say anything at the time, but I'm like, you asked me to empty my bladder, so of course you can't see anything. So she asked me if I'd like to do an internal. Of course, the answer was yes. And that's when things really started to go downhill. I remember lying there and she was looking at the screen and I could see a sack and I could see that there was something in there. But she said there was like a sack of blood also or a pool of blood near it. And that could be normal, that could be not. Um, Might have explained, oh, I did have some spotting. A little bit so that could have explained that and she couldn't see a heartbeat and she was saying that like the sack didn't I don't know it was kind of it wasn't it didn't have it wasn't didn't look smooth or something so she said so kind of she was trying to prepare me for the worst and she was saying that generally she hopes she's wrong but um, when she sees things like this it doesn't look good so my heart absolutely broke it it was the last thing I was expecting. I felt like my body had betrayed me. So the first thing we did was go to the doctors to get the blood drawer and needed to know what my HCG was doing. So we dropped my son off with my mum, go to the doctors, and it was just a walk-in clinic, so I could have gotten anyone. Uh, the doctor that I did get was actually quite good, male doctor. He was telling me to be calm, that we don't know anything yet. When he sends women off to ultrasounds, he generally likes to wait until uh, nine weeks because you'll see a heartbeat by then. So don't stress until you have to stress. 
So he, he did make me feel better. He put my mind at ease. So I got the blood draw and then he wanted me back two days later for another one just to check the difference to make sure that they were doubling. And it's the longest wait of your life, honestly. It's torture. You're thinking the worst, hoping for the best. And the day finally came, I go back to the doctor and he goes, it's fine. It's doubling. And the relief, oh, my goodness. I was like, great, yes, we're still in with a chance here. So he wanted to book me in a third time for, for more bloods just to see how it was all tracking. Um, and he also gave me another referral for another ultrasound um, for a week later just to see what was going on. So again, got the blood test results and my HCG was still going up. So yeah, this is great. I still felt pregnant. I was still having morning sickness and I was just hanging on to the hope that she got it wrong. The sonographer got it wrong and we're all good. So we booked in. We didn't go to the same ultrasound place. I wanted to go somewhere different. And again, it was my partner and my son. And one detail I've just remembered was the sonographer at this ultrasound was pregnant, which would have been fine if I'd gotten good news. <laughs> um so yeah laying on the bed with my full bladder this time and she put the wand on my stomach and like the image definitely wasn't as clear as the last place that we went to but I could still see that it wasn't going to be good news so yeah the baby hadn't grown anymore there was no heartbeat and it was classed as a missed miscarriage how cruel is that how cruel can your body be I was so confused. I'd just been on this roller coaster of a really low low at the first ultrasound and then got my hopes up with the blood test and the doctor telling me it was fine just to for it to all come crashing back down again. So after that, we got a referral to the early pregnancy clinic at the hospital. It was actually my like my normal doctor that I see. She's a female doctor. Um I didn't feel that the male doctor at the walking clinic was kind of, you know, giving me more options and I just wanted it done. I wanted, I wanted to get it out so I could start moving on. And he, I just felt like he was delaying that process. So I got in touch with my regular GP and straight away um, she gave me the referral for the early pregnancy clinic. Um, they called, I think, the same day to book me in for the following day and went into the hospital. And I knew I went in with my heart set on not having another DNC. I will rewind a bit. After my son was born, uh, two weeks after he was born, I had like, um, I was hemorrhaging pretty much. <laughs> I was at home on my own with a newborn baby who was screaming and there was just blood everywhere. So long story short, I ended up having retained placenta and I had a DNC to remove that. And that will make sense later on in my story because that first DNC postpartum is the reason that I'm struggling with my fertility now. So I went into this appointment after the second miscarriage and I didn't want another DNC. I didn't know for sure at this point that like the first DNC was the issue, but I knew that it wasn't good. But when I got in there, the doctor was talking me through my options to have the mistoprostol, the medication that you take to help pass it naturally, or to opt for a DNC. And in that moment, 
I didn't think that I was strong enough to be able to pass it naturally. Um, I didn't know that I could go through that trauma again of knowing that I've passed my baby and then I'm flushing it down the toilet. So I opted for the DNC. And far out, that was a hard day too. Um, going in there knowing like you're pregnant, but your baby's not there. Like it is there, but it's died. Um, and then waking up out of the anesthetic and there's just an emptiness and you know that it's gone and like there's a part of you missing. <sighs> Sorry. I just didn't, I just didn't expect it. I just didn't go into having a second baby thinking that I would ever suffer that loss again. And oh, so, so after that's the second miscarriage, I, I wanted to put the pause. I wanted to hit the brakes um, I didn't want to keep trying. And after I found out what was actually going on with me, like I could be so many more miscarriages down the track if I didn't stick to my guns and and want answers before we started trying again. So I started following uh, this uh, fertility naturopath and she put a post on her story about uh, thin uterine lining and what the symptoms are for that and that really caught my eye so the things that were listed were like light periods well this was the main one light periods that don't last very long and ever since I got my period back after having my son my periods have been three days in length max and I only have to wear a liner if that I didn't realize at the time that that was a red flag any changes in your menstrual cycle please get it investigated. If I'd known then what I do now, I wouldn't be pushing 37, still trying to have my second baby. But again, you don't know what you don't know. So after I saw that post and her suggestions, um, although estrogen could have been a cause as well for uh, thin lining, uh, I started doing my own digging and went to my female GP and asked her for estrogen blood test and I wanted an ultrasound uh, mid-cycle around when I'm ovulating to see the thickness of my lining. She she said no, <laughs> essentially, is she said no. Uh, one of her reasons being that I wasn't going through any symptoms uh, for perimenopause and that she couldn't justify it to Medicare and that my miscarriage was likely caused from a chromosomal abnormality, just bad luck. We will start investigating when I've had three or more consecutive miscarriages. Wow, wasn't that a blow? I got off the phone and I was just in tears. I thought, you know, being a female GP at least, she'd have a little bit more compassion, um, be a little bit more open to further investigations. Uh, there is no way that I could go through another miscarriage. I don't think my mental health at that point could have coped with it. And here she was essentially recommending it. And I'm so glad that I didn't listen because as I said before, I would be so many more miscarriages down the track if I had listened to her. And that's that's messed up. It's messed up that we can't trust our doctors who have been educated and know more than us. We have to advocate for ourselves. We need to advocate for our rights. We need to advocate for our mental health. So I went to another doctor. <laughs> I went to my doctor at the walk-in clinic because I knew he would give me what I wanted without too much explanation of why I wanted it. 
So I got um, the estrogen blood test and I got my referral for the ultrasound. And, I mean, they didn't tell me anything that day of that ultrasound because um, they can't. That's fine. Went back to the GP and mid-cycle my lining was like three point something mil. Now, generally, if you're going through IVF, they won't do a transfer unless your lining is around eight mil or more. So then lining was my problem or is part of my problem. What to do from there? I started, this is this is about July. I had my DNC in March 2022. I started seeing the most amazing fertility acupuncturist um around July it was not long after those ultrasound results because I researched and that was one of the things that could help improve your lining was acupuncture and honestly she is like a guardian angel she's just a beautiful soul she's really she's really helped me um stay sane on this journey she's full of knowledge and she was the compassion that I needed at this point so I was seeing her for uh, a couple of months and then we were talking about like at what point do I see a fertility specialist and she advised like there's there's no harm in going and getting a consult now um, they can check your lining there without having to go through the rigmarole of going through a GP so yeah book in and see how we're going we weren't ready to the point where we had to try IVF yet um, we still needed more answers, more education, just to see what was going on. I did book in to see a female fertility specialist. Not that a female was my preference. It's just who I happened to find um, from no recommendation of anyone, which I also don't recommend you do. Get a Find someone who's been to someone because my first appointment with her my partner was there and I I knew that she she was a uh, she's a gynecologist obstetrician um, who was moving into the fertility field so she really didn't have a lot of experience in that area um, but I didn't really know that until after I booked the appointment so told her my story there was nothing that she said that she kind of thought were issues uh, she wanted to let me go through a cycle she wanted me to start on estrogen and then she would do a scan of my lining. She was quite cold. My partner didn't feel comfortable asking her any questions. He kind of just sat back. Um, well, for her, he wasn't an issue at all. He wasn't even really spoken to. And I just left there not being happy with how that went. So went back to my fertility acupuncturist and she recommended another fertility specialist who she'd seen and uh, someone else that I knew had seen as well and who spoke very highly of him. So I made an appointment for him. I was at the point where, yes, we're going to pay another consult fee, but again, my intuition was saying, you need to do this. You need to go see him. You need to get a second opinion. And honestly, my first appointment with him was amazing. I told him my story and as soon as I told him what my period was like and that I'd had a DNC postpartum, straight away he started to go along the lines of, one, I want to do a hysteroscopy to have a look inside and actually see what's going on, and two, I don't think he actually gave me a diagnosis at that point, but he did do an ultrasound and he checked my lining and he said that something, yeah, was looking a little strange and it was also 
almost like my lining was patchy. Um, so, yeah, he wanted to do further investigations. So it was two weeks later that I was booked in for the hysteroscopy. He didn't really tell me much after the procedure. He, he did say that it looked good and there was lining there. So he was being very optimistic. My post-op appointment the following week uh, was when stuff started to get real. So he said he went in and the lining looked good, but he couldn't find my left cavity. So he showed me pictures where he could see where my fallopian tube entered on the right side, but he couldn't see what was going on on the left side. It, it just didn't look like it was there. And he was suspecting at this point two things, um, Asherman syndrome, which is scarring or scarring and adhesions of the uterus, primarily caused by well, it is caused by DNCs and it would have been caused by the DNC that I had postpartum. Um, he was explaining that that postpartum period, the lining is more sensitive and more delicate. So even going in for like a normal DNC, it would have done more damage than what it normally would have if you had a DNC any other time. That's how he kind of explained it to me. Um, the other thing that he was kind of toying with was that I had a unicorn uterus. Now, we were both kind of like leaning away from that idea purely because when I was, I think I was about 19, I had a laparoscopy for suspected endometriosis, uh, which I didn't end up ha having. Uh, and there was never any mention of me having unicorn uterus and so with a hysteroscopy, they go up through your cervix, so fully internal, like there's no cutting or stitching. A laparoscopy, they go through three keyhole points on your stomach, so they kind of get a bird's eye view of your uterus. And, yeah, at that point, like, they would have seen if anything was abnormal and there was never any mention of it. So we were really not thinking that a unicorn uterus was the issue at that point, um, more leaning towards an Asherman's diagnosis. But he did want to refer me to an Asherman's specialist who happened to be in Sydney. I'm on the Gold Coast. <laughs> so he referred me to um, like one of the top guys in the country. So straight away, like I've throughout this whole process, I've been very proactive on my own care and really pushing to get appointments, making things happen fast. So when I called up the Asherman specialist in Sydney, I found out that the first available consult was in May 2023. Another kick to the guts. <laughs> I couldn't wait. Like we'd, we'd come this far like quite quickly. Um, I couldn't wait until May to start trying again. One, I'm another year older by that point. Um, I just don't have, like time is not a luxury that I have. So I booked the appointment anyway. So, <laughs> and they were like, oh, there's always cancellations. And another thing with this um, with this guy was that he didn't do phone consults. So even for the initial consult, I would have to go down to Sydney to see him, even though all the investigations had already been done. Oh, I'd also had an MRI at this point too, actually. 
um, after the hysteroscopy because he wanted to see what was going on. And again, it didn't show that I had a unicorn uterus. It wasn't really showing any abnormalities there at all. So I had everything that the Asherman specialist needed, yet I would still have to go to Sydney for that first consult in May 2023. We were in at like the end of September by this stage. So yeah, wasn't keen on waiting that long to move forward. So I called up my fertility specialist and I'm like, who's who's your number two guy? Who <laughs> who's next best on the list? Because I need to I need to see if I can get in with him sooner. Uh, so there was um, a number two, but oh, I was just made to feel that he was definitely not the preferred option. Which really, like, it kind of left me at a crossroads. I don't know if you've had those times in your life where it's like. You know, those pivotal moments in time where you know that you had a decision to make and you chose one over the other. And then sometimes you look back and wonder if you made the right decision and what would your life be like if you'd gone with option number one. It was one of those times like I didn't want to make this decision and regret it because I was being impatient. So I found out the name of this guy and I did you know, joined all the Asherman's Facebook groups and was asking questions in there, like, had anyone been treated by him? What's he like? Is he good? And there was honestly nothing but glowing reviews about him. So that put me at ease. I also found out that he prioritizes Asherman's cases. So another win. So I did make the decision to see doctor number two and I got in and he did phone consults. I didn't need to travel to Sydney um for the first consult which was great and I got in with him like the following week it was really quick and yeah that appointment gave me some more hope too he said that 20 it looked like 25 percent of my uterus was affected by Asherman's and I guess he was telling this by the hysteroscopy and the MRI results that he could fix it and that it should be like okay to start conceiving Uh, and also another thing that he does with treatment is PRP which is where you get your own blood drawn and then they take the plasma and then re-inject it into the lining of the uterus and that's to help rejuvenate it Um, think vampire facials it's like the same thing it's very good for like rejuvenating cell production and he was saying that he does that at the time of the procedure and also generally with women over 35, he likes to do a second one three to five days later. So now we had a game plan. I did have to wait until I was at a certain point of my cycle for this procedure. I think you needed to be between day three and 11. And I got to that point, I rung up his office and I'm like, all right, I'm expecting like my period to start here this is like my window when can you fit me in and she was like oh he's he's booked out I think he was booked out so we were looking into October now booked out October November and we were looking at December so like it wasn't the worst news but it wasn't the best so that was okay I got off the phone she said just leave it with her and she'll get back to me with when she can book me in and then I was That must have like happened on a Friday. And then by the Monday, I was going to wait to call them because pushy me (laughs) needs to get stuff moving. And I ended up getting a call from her and she goes, I can book you in this Saturday. I was like, holy shit. (laughs) 
So I had a week to organise, like, I wouldn't have to take any time off work, which is great. I had to organise, like, how are we getting down to Sydney, accommodation, um, are we going to drive, are we going to fly, am I going on my own, like, how do we do this? It was hectic. So it ended up being a family trip to Sydney. It was very expensive. Um, flights were ridiculous. And, yeah, we made it happen, which was amazing. And honestly, like, we ended up having the best weekend, even, like, for the reason that we were there, we made the most of it. The way that they do the procedure to treat the Ashermans is through another hysteroscopy. The procedure all went well. I didn't get to speak to him after the procedure, which I was really disappointed about because I wanted some of like some idea of what he'd seen and like how it looked now. Am I okay to start trying? Because um, you can start trying with your next cycle. But I didn't know anything. So we, that night in the hotel room, I was actually CC'd in on an email from his office to my fertility specialist and it was my operation report. Now I work at a hospital. I see and read operation reports all the time and I knew what I was reading wasn't what I wanted to hear or see or read. It just, it just wasn't. So it was pretty much confirming that I had um, a unicornial uterus. He could not find the left cavity at all. They were using, they used like these really high grade x-rays and ultrasounds and everything during the procedure um, so they can get really good imaging. And he said, like, your left cavity just isn't there. Um, there was mild Ashermans, which he treated. And I also received the PRP treatment. Yeah, another hit to the guts. I don't know if you've ever looked up the stats of trying to conceive in pregnancy with a unicorn uterus, but it's dire. Like, it's really not great. I was just still so confused at this point. I still didn't believe that it was something I was born with, and I didn't know what it meant for future pregnancies, or I was just, yeah, I was just lost, like, I went into that surgery with so much hope that everything was going to be back to normal and we're going to be good and everything was going to be fine. And instead, we're just left with more questions and doubt and fear and uncertainty. So not long after that, I had another like a follow-up appointment with my fertility specialist on the Gold Coast and we were running through the results of the surgery and... He had no hard feelings that I'd seen doctor number two over doctor number one. <laughs> he was actually quite impressed with how doctor number two like conducted everything and his reports and everything like that. So I think he'll be referring more women to him in the future, which is cool because, I mean, it did happen really quickly. And I'm sure there are a lot of women out there that have a better outcome than me. <laughs> I mean, it wasn't the worst, but it just wasn't the news that I wanted to hear. So I was having a chat with him and we both agreed that I wasn't born with a unicorn uterus. The adhesions from the Ashermans was so severe that it's actually fused the left side of um, my uterus together, forming what looks like a unicorn uterus. So that was shit. <laughs> but the good news was that um, my lining was at seven mil. So the PRP worked, which was amazing. Yeah, so we were at October by this stage. We're clear to start trying, which we have and we haven't been. Like life has been a little bit busy and timing hasn't been quite right. And honestly, 
I'm using my period now as kind of like a guiding factor to like give an indication of what my lining's like. And I don't know, my first period after the procedure was the heaviest period that I've had since before I fell pregnant. And so I've had three in total. And my last two, number two was dismal. Um, but my acupuncturist was like, you had a lot going on. You were under a lot of stress. There was stuff going on in my life. Let's just not worry about that. It's fine. And my one just gone was okay. Still only three days, still really not lead- needing much more than a liner. And yeah, like now I guess we're just like everyone else. We kind of know what's wrong. Um, it's Ashermans, which, oh, you know, just going into pregnancy now is just going to be filled with fear and anxiety. So with the Ashermans and the unicorn uterus, like what kind of gives me a little bit hope is like my uterus has stretched to hold a baby before. I don't know how much less capacity it's going to have now. I don't know if my lining is ever going to be thick enough to sustain a pregnancy, but yeah, it's just going to come with a whole host of other risks. So with the Ashermans, I'm at a higher risk of placenta accreta. So that means what it does is it kind of embeds itself in the uterus wall, becoming a part of the uterus and it can't be detached. So depending on the severity of that, I would need a cesarean and possibly a hysterectomy. So I don't know, there's something that hurts just a little bit more when the choice is taken away from you. I've always said to my partner that I don't know that I'm going to be done at two kids. I may want a third. Like, I don't, I don't know. I think the only, the only time I'm going to have the answer to that is after baby number two is here. So, which makes it really hard. And like, if I do need a hysterectomy and there's still a tiny little hole in my heart that needs to be filled and it can't like, you know, I'm going to be so grateful regardless if I can get baby number two. I'm already, you know, visualizing my pregnancy and just being so grateful and knowing how blessed I am because it is, it's going to be a miracle. And I really hope that I don't need to suffer too much more heartache on the process to baby number two. I am so aware that, you know, a positive pregnancy test doesn't equal a baby. Um, I'm also going to be higher risk of uh incompetent u- incompetent cervix sorry which scares the hell out of me can cause mid to late term loss and yeah I don't know I just I can't even bring myself to think about going through that or how I would deal with it I think it's just one of those things you can't unless you are I was just hoping that it was going to be you know easy and You know, I just wanted to be like everyone else where, you know, you have sex, you fall pregnant and you know that you're going to have a baby, like pregnancy equals baby, but I'm not in that group. And yeah, it's just, it's just hard to face the reality of it sometimes where you're trying to fall pregnant so badly, but then there's just so much fear associated with it. And I guess that's why talking to other women and creating that support network is really going to help all of us get through it. I want to be there to hear your good news. And I want you to be vulnerable enough, if you can, to share your bad if you need support. That's what this is about. It's about creating that safe space, that community, to know that you're not alone and that you have people around you that truly understand how hard this is. 
and how heartbreaking it is. And even though we can't be there physically for each other when it feels like our world is crumbling down and you're crying on the bathroom floor, but we can be here for you emotionally, energetically. And I hope that in a way that you guys can do that for me too. I want to be here for you and I want you guys to be here for me. (laughs) It's just... It's going to be a long, hard road. And I hope that the stories that I can bring to you help give you hope as much as they help give me hope. Yeah, I guess this is starting off with not a happy ending. Um, The others will be. But yeah, I'm in the trenches with you. uh, So you're not alone. I see you. I feel you. I'm here for you. And yeah, I'm just, I'm so grateful that you've decided to come and listen and join me on this journey. And I really appreciate your support. And I look forward to speaking to you again soon. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you've enjoyed this episode of Messy in the Middle. My main goal for creating this podcast is to ensure other women going through the struggles of infertility and baby loss don't feel alone along this very isolating journey. I want to be able to reach as many women as possible. And in order for me to do this, I would really appreciate if you could subscribe and leave a rating and review on iTunes and Spotify. Also, if you have any feedback or suggestions of what you'd like to hear, please get in contact with me through the Messy in the Middle Instagram page. Sending you so much love and strength on your journey to baby.